This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. So thank you, Greg Laswell and Allison Firestone. I guess we begin the conversation with just a little introduction with each of you. Greg, we'll start with you and just describe maybe your new role as a managing director. My name is Greg Laswell. Obviously, I've been at the firm seven to eight years. Um, my time in the firm has been kind of all over the place within the uh, corporate finance, complex financial reporting and bankruptcy restructuring arms at Opportune. Um, through that experience, I've gotten to see, uh, work with a lot of finance and, and management teams, uh, see a lot of deals get done both on the upswing and downswing of the, the energy cycle. Um, uh, last year, a lot of, a lot of our work um, in the mergers and acquisitions space uh, picked up. Um, a lot of that work was either due diligence around uh, acquisitions, due diligence uh, post-acquisition, and then also around quality of earnings, which we'll talk about here today. Um, and it's a um, it's a work stream that that Alice and I have gotten very familiar with the last couple of years and and prior to the last couple of years, but we think it'll be a work stream that'll keep us uh, keep us busy um, going into 2022. I'm Allison Firestone. I'm a director in the corporate finance group at Opportune. I've been here for about eight years and spent most of that time working with clients in the upstream energy section at sector as well as midstream clients, and had the chance to work on restructuring deals, both in court and out of court. Um, I've also worked on transactions um, outside of restructuring, and had over the last year, I've had the opportunity to work on more M&A work um, as that picked up in the industry. Um, I've also had the chance to work with more oil field service clients, and several renewable energy clients um, through due diligence review and quality earnings work. That's great, that's great. Great intro, guys. We'll get right into the questions. So the first question that, I guess I'll preference the question with quality of earnings. The whole basis of the conversation, I guess, and you guys will get into it more, but it's a vital part of due diligence work when buying and selling or investing in a business. For those that may not know, what are quality of earnings reports and why is it important in financial reporting or disclosure purposes? Greg, how about you start us off? I think the main thing with quality of earnings reports is is what we look to do is provide certainty to um, buyers, uh, primarily to buyers uh, when they are consummating or, or, or looking to consummate a transaction. Um, I'll talk more in detail later about you know, who, what type of company should be looking to get a quality of earnings. But, but for this purposes, I'll assume that we're getting engaged by um, a buyer on this case. And, and so a buyer would engage us after they have signed usually a, a letter of intent to purchase a company. Um, this letter of intent gives them basically a lockup period before uh, a deal could get done and gives them uh, exclusivity to, to get a deal done with the target. And the buyer will have usually done uh, their own due diligence process to determine why they wanted to purchase this company and whether they were com- uh, comfortable with the company's operations and, and historical result- results. And 
primarily we will get engaged to do be an extra set of eyes and an extra set of due diligence for them. We are obviously an, an independent party uh, to both the buyer and the seller in the, on these engagements. And we analyze a variety of uh, financial information about the company to put together a, a report to basically highlight a lot of the financial information, uh, include some key summary findings of, of any issues we see with the company, uh, provide detail uh, usually on the internal controls and the financial bookkeeping of the company, uh, as well as disclose a number of potential items that may be red flags or, or good signs um, for, the, for the buyer to uh, consider as they evaluate this deal. Um, so at the end of the day, what we as a firm like to provide our clients for this work stream is a, a high level uh, executive summary uh, finding either you know short little presentation or workbook along with the detailed uh, Excel file that includes all of our analysis on these engagements. Uh, we find this is the best and most efficient way to communicate this information uh, to our clients and so they can have more certainty around uh, the purchasing decisions that they are considering. That's very interesting. Allison, would you like to add more to that? I guess I would add that there are certain instances where you can get a quality of earnings um, where that might be necessary over just an internal due diligence process um, that may be needed. Uh, it may be required by your lenders in the process of getting new financing through an, with an acquisition. Um, and it also may be required um, through your insurance provider on reps and warranties insurance for the transaction. And so there are you know, outside reasons that you may need a third party quality of earnings report in addition to internal diligence. What characteristics make a quality of earnings report different than other financial reporting or disclosure reports? Like say, for example, an asset impairment or a purchase prices allocation. So I think part of that is an extension of my last comment and just who would be reviewing the report. And so a quality of earnings is really a review of only what's going to be included in the transaction. So you may have an audit of the full financials of the company, but maybe you're only buying a certain asset or a certain set of entities within the company. And so you would take the audited financials or whatever financials the company has and um, look at EBITDA and make certain adjustments that um, kind of level set the financials, the historical financials for what you may see going forward. So taking out one-time transactions or cash flows that relate to assets that are not part of the transaction. Greg, what kind of procedures are typically performed in a quality of earnings report? Yes. So for procedures, we usually split our procedures into a couple key categories. One of which is more of an EBITDA quality of earnings P&L type analysis. Another is a review of working capital and more balance sheet type items. And then finally, we'll have some additional considerations, which could include tax analyses for the go forward entity, uh, any NOLs or any anything around that we like to leverage our, our tax group and how they can assist in the buyer uh, forming the correct structures and entities to take advantage of any any tax benefits that may come their way. Uh, but from the quality of earnings side, uh, the P&L side of things, we like to reconcile EBITDA, as Allison mentioned, she referenced that it, it, historical financials will often include non-recurring transactions, 
non-cash transactions, some one-offs, uh, either in the positive or negative sense that we really like to smooth to smooth out. Uh, usually the buyers are determining what price to pay uh, for this, this target based on an EBITDA multiple. And it depends on, the, on the how sophisticated the target is, but oftentimes they will include their own adjustments to EBITDA to try to get a smooth run rate of what they think uh, their business would make in, in a normal course year. We really dig in and analyze that to look for, uh, to make sure that, that we agree with those numbers as best as, as we can tell. Um, and, and to really give certainty to the buyer around uh, that number. And, and we also do that by looking in depth at, at bank statements and cash uh, to, to really analyze that the revenue and expenses are being reported coincide with the cash that's being received and the cash that's going out the door. Um, on the working capital side of things, we really take a strong look at uh, assets and liabilities. Each LOI or each uh, purchase agreement can be different and have some nuance around what the buyer is, is purchasing in terms of working capital or assets. So we have to get a good sense of what's included in the specific deal and then dig into the key areas of potential risk that we see on that front. One of the big ones to consider in, in all the deals is, is contingent liabilities. And, and by contingent liabilities, we want to make sure that when the purchaser steps in and owns this company, there's not a lot of future obligations or out-of-the-money contracts or anything like that that will burden the company on a go-forward basis that they're not aware of. Um, we would hate for a buyer to step into a company that signed up to commit to a contract that's set to lose them money. So we really like to, to dig in and make sure that we're well aware as far as we can get of any liabilities that are not on, on the, the target's books um, to get a good sense of that. And then finally, depending on uh, the type of business that we're reviewing, um, we will look at ongoing contracts, backlog for work uh, and the like there just to make sure that you know, the, the customer contracts are in line with expectations. The company can deliver um, successfully on these projects going forward. And the company is in a position to succeed. And if there are any red flags or potential issues, all these are considered by the buyer before they finalize uh, their purchase price for the deal. That's great. That's great. I, I guess the next question goes to you, Allison. What might be some maybe troublesome items or findings or maybe a better way to put it lessons learned that have been uncovered in quality of earnings reports that you and Greg have done and your teams have done over the past year that people should be mindful of or avoid in 2022? Sure. So um, a lot of things that Greg just mentioned, you know, looking at certain liabilities that come along with contracts and just making sure that you're aware of any one-time um, liabilities that may come up or maybe one-time revenue that was seen in the past that won't be going forward. Um, just making sure that you're really aware of all of that. And I think that where that can get complicated is just working with a more complex entity who's selling the asset or selling their company. And it helps to work with someone who's an expert in the industry and really understand some of the nuances that can be seen with, um, for instance, revenue reporting, um, so we always try to uh, understand the revenue recognition policies and cutoffs for these companies. 
um, the way that certain upstream and midstream companies may be reporting inventory. Um, just make sure that you understand those processes and how those numbers may change. Um, and so just really getting an understanding ourselves of the business, because as Greg mentioned before, most companies have already done their own due diligence around these assets and companies before we get there. So we're just taking a second look and pointing out anything that we see that may be a little out of the norm or just making sure that they see certain trends and where those trends may be headed in the future um, to have a good idea of the future value of the asset. Um, and I think that where we're seeing some of these trends increase a little bit more is just in the sectors that are seeing more M&A activity. And so recently we've been seeing that um, in the upstream and midstream side of oil and gas, um, just a more active market there overall. And then also um, just people taking advantage of the tax benefits around solar and other renewable energy projects. And so seeing more um, projects on that side and learning more about those in entities and the complexities that we can see there as well. Great stuff, Allison. Great stuff. This next question goes to you, Greg. What should companies consider when getting a quality of earnings report done? Yeah, so I referenced it up top, but I think a majority of the work that we get is from usually the buyer looking to get a quality of earnings report done on an acquisition that they are considering. It could either be the buyer in the form of an equity buyer, or as Allison mentioned earlier, it could be a, a debt provider for, for the company. Uh, additionally, uh, a, there's more and more prevalent are you know, reps and warranties insurance, which is in, insurance around the deal itself. And a lot of times as part of the reps and warranties insurance process, they will require a quality of earnings report. Uh, additionally, a lot of the times the, the buyers of uh, of the target companies will have other investors that will require a, a third-party quality of earnings report just to make sure that the information that they're being presented and that they're basing the deal on is, is reliable and, and someone else has gotten a chance to, to really dig in and vet that information. Um, one other type of company who we haven't mentioned uh, to, to date that uh, we have done some work for are the companies that want to position themselves to be actively marketed and sold within a short time period and, and why a quality of earnings report is important on that front and, and usually we'll get approached by a company oftentimes either before they engage an investment banker to sell um, that company or while an investment banker um, has already been engaged and what we can do is we as a third party can look at the company as if we were going to be the buyer or if we were going to be perform a quality of earnings report for a potential buyer and just give them some advice on areas of concern, um, you know, so help them clean up their accounting records and their books in order to present their company in the best light, uh, to market themselves, um, help them in terms of, uh, maybe creating an, a, an adjusted EBITDA metric and, and things like that, and really try to help them get organized internally. So when they go to market with their, their investment bank, they can be in a position to you know, capitalize and, and get the highest return that the market's willing to give. And I, and I know Allison, I think it's important for companies to do that 
well before a marketing process, just because once the marketing process starts, it can be chaotic. Um, you, you never know timing, you know, you may not think that you need, you'll, you'll enter the market until early 2023, but, but the market obviously changes and you need to be position yourself uh, to tap the market and show well to get the return that your company could get in a, in a normal course sales process whenever. Um, and so those are the type of uh, times we get engaged for, for QV reports and, and when companies should consider engaging us. Interesting. Interesting. Allison, would you like to add anything to piggyback on Greg? Just to kind of wrap up, I just wanted to say that Opportune has um, been working in the energy industry for several years, and um, we've always done this type of QV work and due diligence work around transactions. Um, Opportune employs many oil and gas experts in the industry, and as the M&A work has increased, or the M&A transactions have increased, our work around QOV has gone up this year as well. Um, we certainly think that the activity in this space will continue, and we expect to see more of these projects in 2022 for um, all sectors of the energy industry. Um, I think that many companies do their own due diligence coming into these transactions, but if you need a third party review for if it's required by a lender or an insurance provider, or you just want to have a report ready to market your assets, then Opportune can, um, can really be flexible on the scope of the report that we provide and kind of gear it toward any third party or um, internal reporting that's needed.